Hello and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast, also known as PsyCove. And Shabbat Shalom to all our listeners. All praises to the Most High Yah and His Son Yahusha. For those who don't know who Yah is, or Yahusha is God the Father, is Yahuwah, and Yahusha is His Son as some know as Jesus. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. And we want our listeners to know that we are broadcasting live every single Shabbat at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please join us as well as tell your friends, family, co-workers, everyone you know about us to tune in if you want to know about the Bible and want to study and learn along with us. If you have any questions or comments while the podcast is live, you can email us at the science of the covenant at gmail.com. So I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. Pastor, what do you have for us today? All right. Last week we were able to deal with uh, Satan's sign. And as we dealt with his, his sign, we discovered that as Elohim has a Sabbath, as his seal, then we have a spurious or false Sabbath that is the sign of Satan. And so today what we want to try to do is to go into the sign as it relates to a system. And as we deal with that, we are be able to get into the book of Revelations to be able to see what his system is it was not just a change of the true Sabbath to the false Sabbath, but there's a system that goes along with it. And when we started this discourse, we said we'll be talking about the mark of the beast, and then we'll be looking at how the mark of the beast coincides with the seal of Elohim, and we've seen that. And then now that we have seen the seal of Elohim and the mark of the beast, now we want to deal with the beast system. So in a way, what we'll be dealing with is the mark of the beast system. We want to look at that. So let us pray as we get ready to go into our discourse for this Shabbat. Eternal Father, as we look to you at this time, we thank you and we covet the privilege of being able to open your word and to be able to speak some things that would prepare us not only for the last days, but also for the coming of the Messiah. So as we speak these things, we ask that the blood of Yeshua may continue to cover us, may continue to purify us, and may the water of the word wash us and make us clean, that the power of the Holy Spirit may have a fit place to dwell. And when the spirit of truth has come in, he can walk us in the way that you would have us to. And we know that the way that he would lead us is to eternal life. These and other blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen and amen. Okay, our first text that we want to turn to uh, at this time is in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, we only look at the 13th chapter, and we want to consider verse number 17. That's numbers, not numbers, but Revelation chapter 13 in verse number 17, and it reads, And he that hath, and he that, and that no man might be able to buy or sell, he 
that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So what we're looking at, most people, when they understand what the mark of the beast is, they don't understand that it's a system that he's dealing with, a system. It not only talks about the mark of the beast, okay, but it also talks about the name of the beast. And then it also speaks about the number of the beast. Now, we may be, not be able to cover all of this in this particular uh, discourse, but I'm letting you know that there's the mark of the beast, there's the name of the beast, and the number of the beast. So we want to be cognizant of that. Now that we have dealt with Satan's sign, of which we talked about, the mark of the beast, what we would like to pursue at this juncture is a mark of the beast system. So we want to keep, keep that in mind, that there's a system. And so often when discussing the mark of the beast, many uh, writers and scholars fail to mention the system by which the mark is a part of. So it's that, that part that is a system. We, 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 we haven't dealt with that. We only deal with the mark. Just like when it, when it comes to the seal, we only deal with the seal and not the system, but we'll get to that. However, in our study of the mark of the beast, we discovered that Satan was imitating what Yah did by falsifying it. Even so, we'll also discover that he falsifies Yah's system as well. Therefore, for us to determine that the system of Yah is being falsified, let us understand what Yah's system is. So before we look at the mark of the beast system, let us first see what is the seal of Yah's system. Okay, we want to look at that. Now, when we talk about, we're looking at the seal of Yah's system. And so when we concern ourselves with a system, it has to do with parts or an interconnection of things working together. That's what a system is. System is just not one part, but a number of parts working together. So if we are to discover that the seal of Yah is a Shabbat impressed upon our man, so we ask ourselves the question, what system is the Shabbat a part of? So we want to see if it's a system, what, 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 is, the, what, is, the, what is the system? Okay, let us go... Let us go to Leviticus chapter 23. You want to look at that system. Leviticus chapter 23. Now, here in Leviticus chapter 23, what we notice, if you just notice there, is that here in the November, in, in Leviticus 23, uh, we're going to start with verse 1 and read the following verses. Now, the whole, the whole chapter uh, in chapter 23 speaks about his system, but we're not going to read the whole chapter at this point. And then when we come back to it, we'll read certain areas of it, but the point we want to just do at this juxtaposition is simply just to point out the system that we'll deal with. Okay, now here we read in Leviticus chapter 23, and then we are told 
in verse number one and two, it says, And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of Yahweh, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, and even these are my feasts. Okay, so he's saying he got feasts. And uh, he says, these are my feasts. So what are his feasts? Okay. Now we read in verse number three of Leviticus 23, it says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Shabbat of Yahweh in all your dwellings. Okay, now, so when we read this, what we are saying is that the first uh, Shabbat or the weekly Shabbat is what's being mentioned as the first feast. Now, you see in verse in verse 2, it talks about the feast, but in, 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 three, in verse 3 of the 23rd chapter, it speaks about the first feast. Now, what is that? That's the weekly Sabbath. That's, that's the first feast. So when we look at the first feast, uh, it is connected to a system of other feasts is what we want to deal with. So here we see in uh, Leviticus 23 that it's enumerating uh, the feast of Yah. Not only gave his people the weekly Shabbat, but there are other festivals of which he aligned with the weekly Shabbat and these are his annual festivals. Now, the question is often asked, didn't Yah do away with the annual festivals when his son expired on the cross? For after all, the weekly Shabbat was given at the creation, but his festivals was given <clears throat> when <clears throat> uh, during the time of Moses when he went up into Mount Sinai. So while it is true they were given at Sinai to Moses, yet that was not the first time that they were given. Now the weekly and the annual festivals predate the Exodus journey of the coming forth from his people out of Egypt. You see, when they came out of Egypt, and they went around Sinai after they were delivered, and Elohim gave them the covenant concerning his festivals. It was That was not the first time he had given those festivals. So we are told in the opening chapter of Genesis, let us turn to Genesis chapter 1. We'll look at Genesis chapter 1. Okay. Now here in Genesis chapter 1, we want to look at uh, verse number verse number. 14, okay, Genesis chapter 1, and we'll look at verse 14. So we want to find the first time that the festivals was given. Many feel that they were given at Sinai when Moses uh, was called up into the mount to receive the covenant that Elohim had to give. Now let us notice this, and then we are kind of explored. It said, and Elohim said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Okay. So we want to hold, hold, hold this, this text. So it is saying here 
that when he made the celestial bodies, there were certain things that was to transpire. Moreover, in addition, uh, when we look at the weekly and the annual uh, Shabbat, what we notice is that in addition to the weekly, he also uh, instituted the annual. However, with our study at this point, will not include the other Shabbats that he also gave, but we'll concentrate primarily on the annual uh, festivals that he gave in Leviticus. There are other Shabbats, but we're going to concentrate only on these at this particular point, which are found in Leviticus 23. Just as ancient Israel had lost sight of Yah's covenant during their sojourn in Egypt. Even so, today, Yah's people have lost sight of his covenant. They have lost sight of his covenant. And this is why he had to reiterate it in, in Exodus after they had come forth out of Egypt. They had lost the knowledge of it. So when we consider the fact that the system of the seal of Yah was in operation, the first week of creation, then we can't go to the second chapter of Genesis. We have to start with Genesis 1.14, because in Genesis 1.14, it says, on the fourth day of creation, the seal of Yah, which is the Shabbat, was established. This word that we read in Genesis 1.14, this word that we have seasons, the word seasons in this particular uh, uh, verse comes is, if it is properly understood from Hebrew, would be the word moed or moedim. See, moedim is a plural form of moed. And this word moed has to do with an appointed time or a feast day of which the Shabbat is is. It, is the first one. And from this text, not only was the Shabbat established, but also the Shabbat system. So when you look at uh, Genesis 1.14, when it talks about seasons, it's, it's talking about all of the feast days that Elohim had. It's not just talking about the Shabbat that we read later on in the second chapter of Genesis, but it's talking about all of them. That's why the celestial bodies were put up there to help us to determine when the feasts were. So from this text, not only was the Shabbat established, but also the Shabbat system. Let us now observe the Shabbat system. Okay, We want to look at Elohim's uh, system. And when we could consider that the word feast in, in Leviticus 23.2, when we read about Yah's feast, and then when we read in, the, uh, uh, in Genesis 1.14 about the seasons, both the word feast and the word season comes from the same Hebraic word, which is moedim. They come from the same word, and which means an appointed meeting or an appointed time. So we ask ourselves, what are the appointed meetings or the appointed times in Leviticus 23? So we see when he talks about feasts 
in Leviticus 23, 2, and also Genesis 1, 14, about seasons, they are one in the same word, the same word. So when he says feast in Leviticus, he's talking about the Moedims. And when he talks about seasons in uh, Genesis 1, 14, he's still talking about the Moedims. So it seems logical that if the feast and the Moedims are one in the same, then let us see how the Sabbath is connected with these other feasts. So we have the first feast that we have already discussed, and that feast was what? That was the Shabbat, the Shabbat. So in addition to the weekly or the Shabbat, he also gave seven annual feasts, which were an extension of the Shabbat system. Okay, so let us turn back to Leviticus 23 and see what the system is talking about. Okay, so let's turn to Leviticus 23. And we've already read in verse 3 about the weekly Shabbat. Now we want to read about the other feast. So the Shabbat is a feast, is a feast day. Now we want to see what the others that are part of the system are. So we read in Leviticus chapter 23, and we look at verse number 5, and it says, In the 14th day of the first month at even is Yah's Passover. So we see that Passover is an annual feast, okay? And that was to be celebrated on the 14th of the first day. Now we read in Leviticus 23, verse 6 says, And on the 15th of the same month, is a feast of unleavened bread unto Yah. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. So when we see the feast of unleavened bread or the feast of matzah, that's another feast. It follows right on the heels of Passover. So you have Passover in the evening and then, or the 14th, and then when you come to the evening uh, of the 14th, you're going into the evening uh, to begin unleavened bread. So that evening closes out Passover, but it brings in unleavened bread. So you got Passover and unleavened bread. Okay, let us go a little bit further. Leviticus 23, 9 says, And Yah spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. Okay, so now here we are saying that it talks about the first fruits. Now, first fruits is also a feast. Okay, first fruits. So you had a Passover unleavened bread, and verses 9 and 10 speaks about the feast of first fruits. That is also a feast. Okay, now let us go on further. We got the Feast of First Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Passover. Okay, so we got Pesach, uh, and we had Matzah, those feasts. Now let us see what another feast is. Now we turn to Leviticus chapter 23, and we're now looking at verses 15 and 16. Now, verse 15 says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Shabbat, from the day that ye brought 
the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Shabbats shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Shabbat shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto Yah. Okay, so what it's saying here in verses 15 and 16, that this feast here, that after they had the wave offering offered back during the time of first fruits, is that you count uh, seven Shabbats, and after that you count uh, 15 days, I mean 50 days. So you have two countings here. You count seven Sabbath, and then after the seventh Sabbath, you also had an, uh, another feast in which you were dealing with, which was the, the Feast of Shavioth. Now, oftentimes, Shavioth is a feast uh, that is referred to in the New Testament as the Feast of Pentecost. Now, this Pentecost feast is the feast that happened after... Uh, after the uh, after first fruits, now Elohim generally have have feasts in at least three seasons of the year. In the spring, you had Passover and unleavened bread, but in this after the spring, you you have, according to the scriptures, it teaches is that they had they will have another first fruits. Now remember the first fruits of uh, Passover and the Feast of Matzah or the Feast of uh, Unleavened Bread, they had barley because the wheat hadn't grown yet. They had barley. That was the first fruits of the barley they would bring. But when you had a Feast of Shavioth or the Feast of Pentecost, you have the Feast of Wheat, and the wheat didn't come until the summertime. Okay, so you had the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Shavioth. Okay, now that that was the fourth feast. Okay, now let us read Leviticus 23:24. Leviticus 23:24 says this, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Shabbat, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. So now we have Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Shavuot. Now we have what you call the Feast of Trumpets. And on that day, they were to blow the trumpets. And as they blew the trumpets, they were preparing themselves later on for that month for another feast. And what feast was that? Okay, that's found in Leviticus 23, 26, and 27. And Yah spake unto Moses, saying, Also, on the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement, it shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto Yah. Okay, so this particular feast was the Feast of Atonement. It came nine days after the Feast of Trumpets. And on the 10th of the seventh month, they had the Day of Atonement. So when we look at that, that was the sixth annual feast, the Day of Atonement, in which they would have the atonement for their souls to get rid of all of the sins that had accumulated that year and also up until that date. All right, then when we look at Leviticus 23, verse 34, it says, 
Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto Yah. And on the first day shall be an holy convocation, and ye shall do no so foul work therein. Seven days shall ye offer an offering made by fire unto Yah. On the eighth day shall be an holy convocation to you, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yah. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. So there we have it. We have the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Sukkot, or the Feast of Booze. That's when they dwelled in the, in the smaller shelters like tents, they call them boos, or sometimes they made them out of tree limbs and stuff, and they call them boos, and they call them the Feast of uh, Sukkot when they had those temporary dwellings, when they were dwelling in the wilderness. And so you had a Feast of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Shaviot, trumpets, atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. All of these were, all of these were feasts, and these are the feasts we are commanded to keep. Elohim told us to keep them. However, there are also other Shabbats his people were to keep, but they weren't considered to be festivals. These additional Shabbats weren't feasts necessarily, but called Shabbats. Now, all feasts weren't Shabbats, and neither were all Shabbats feasts. They had land feasts where they worked the land uh, seven, uh, six years, and they let the land rest on the seventh year. That was not necessarily a feast, but it was a, a land Sabbath where they would allow the land to rest for a year. And you can read about this in, in these other Shabbats. And as you read them in the book of Leviticus after Leviticus 23, it speaks a lot up about these other type of feasts that were going on. And remember also, they had the Feast of Ju they had the Jubilee. The Jubilee was when you had taken, somebody had taken your property or something because you were not able to attend, that they had to return their property to you. And on Jubilee, if you had servants, you had to release those servants that had been bond servants for you for so many years, you had to release them. So there were others, but what we are zeroing in on here is the beast system or Yah's system, that is, because later on we'll see how this system is going to be duplicated. So, so when we look at all of the festivals that Elohim had given, they go along with the Shabbat, the weekly Sabbath, but these was annual some of them were annual feasts and annual Sabbaths. Okay. Now we want to turn. We want to turn to uh, uh, Isaiah. Let us turn to Isaiah. And in Isaiah, we want to look at chapter fourteen and verse fourteen. Isaiah, chapter fourteen. Okay. Now in Isaiah fourteen, fourteen where Lucifer said in his heart that he would be like the Most High. Now, notice in verse 14, he said, I would be like the Most High. So in being like the Most High, he not only established 
him a day of worship, which is Sunday, but he, like Elohim, also established a system with it, just like Elohim had a system by which he had the Sabbath, and then he followed up with the annual Sabbath. And we'll see that when he said, I want to be like the Most High, he wants to imitate the Most High. And if the Most High had not only a sacred day of worship and a system, then he wanted to follow that same type of system that Elohim had, even though he wanted to do it on different days. So let us turn into the book of Daniel in Daniel 7.25. In other words, we want to look at that system. Okay, He want to imitate that system. Turn to Daniel chapter 7, and we want to consider verse 25. Daniel 7, 25. Okay, in Daniel 7, 25, let's read that particular text, okay? Here in Daniel 7, 25, it says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. They shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. So here we are told that he shall speak great words against the Most High, and that Most High is El Elyon. El Elyon means the Most High, who, and, and, and as we notice that it says here, uh, it says in Daniel 7, 25, at the beginning portion, and he shall speak great words against El Elyon. He shall speak great words against the Most High. So now, who is this he that would speak great words against the Most High? Let's find out who this he is. Now, in the same seventh chapter of Daniel, we want to look at verse 23, find out who is this he that is speaking against the Most High. Okay, and Daniel 7 and verse 23 says, And he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Now, it says the fourth beast. All right. So when we look at the fourth beast, then that is the beast that is talking about he will speak great words against the Most High. He will speak great words against the Most High. Now, when we consider the fourth beast, we are told that this is he who is pointed out in Bible prophecy as Rome, okay? Now, this, 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 this fourth beast was the one that came upon the scene of action after the third beast who was represented by Greece. Okay, because remember we had the first beast was Babylon, the second beast was Medio Persia, and the third beast was Greece, and then now we had a fourth beast, which was Rome. And remember, Rome was never overthrown; it was divided. 
So now let us uh, do some comparisons uh, between Daniel and Revelations. Let us turn to Daniel, uh, Daniel 7.24. Okay, now, here in Daniel 7.24, it says, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. Now, the Bible speaks particularly here in Daniel 7, 24, dealing with he that spoke great words against the Most High as Rome, and it says, and ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings. So it said that ten horns are ten kings. Okay, now, I want you to keep your finger in that page, and we're going to turn over to the book of Revelation in conjunction with Daniel 7, 24. And here in Revelation, we want to turn to the 13th chapter, and we want to look at verse 1 to make some comparisons to Daniel 7, 24. Okay, now, we know in Daniel 7, 24, it talks about ten kingdoms with ten kings. Now, when we look at Daniel, I mean, Revelation, that is, chapter 3, and verse 1 says... He said, and I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blaspheme. So now here Revelation is talking about a beast that came up out of the sea, which we know is over in Europe. And he said that the beast had seven heads and ten horns, and upon his ten horns, ten crowns. And we know ten crowns is the imagery of ten kings. So these kings, in a matter of speaking, aligned themselves with Daniel 7, 24, that he talks about this kingdom has ten kings. So we see the ten kings in Daniel and also the ten kings in Revelation. Okay? Now, let us turn back to Daniel 7.25. And Daniel 7.25 said, And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Okay? So that's, that's what it's saying in Daniel 7.25, that they're going to have problems with him speaking blaspheming words against the Most High. Then we turn to uh, back to Re Revelation chapter 13, and we look at verse 5, and it says, And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemes, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. So what it's saying in verse 5 here is that the same mouth that is speaking in the book of Daniel 7, uh, 25, speaking against the Most High, what was he speaking against the Most High? The Bible says he was speaking blaspheme, and blaspheme is, means to speak evil of. It is not uh, something that is pretty. It is something that is profane. And when he blasphemed, what did he blaspheme? In verse 5 it says, And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemes, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Now, what did he blaspheme? Well, according to verse 6 of Revelation 
13, 6 says, and he opened his mouth. And when he opened his mouth in blasphemy, he did, he, he blasphemed in three ways. The Bible says he blasphemed against Elohim. He also blasphemed his name and he blasphemed his tabernacle and them that dwell therein. So he blasphemed the creator. He blasphemed the creator's name and also the tabernacle that the creator was in. Okay, so we see a correlation there. Then when we go back to uh, 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 Revelation 7.25, notice also what it says. It says, in addition to him speaking great words against the Most High, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Okay, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Now when we turn to Revelation 13.7, notice what it says. 13.7 says, and it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given unto him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now notice in verse, uh, in, in chapter 7 of Daniel, chapter 25, it says he's going to wear out the saints of the Most High. And Revelation is telling you how he was going to wear them out because in Verse number seven, it says, and it was given to him to make war with the saints. So that's how he was going to wear them out. He was going to have a war with them. And he was going to really be against uh, the saints of the Most High. So that's how he was going to wear them out. So you got the wearing out of the saints of the Most High and was given unto him to make war with the saints. Okay. Now, what we want to look at in Daniel 7.25, we want to go to the bottom portion of Daniel 7.25, the bottom portion. Okay, what is the bottom portion? The Bible says, and they, uh, and they shall be given unto him, they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Okay, now we want to look at this time, times, and the dividing of times. Okay. Now, according to uh, many of the time prophecies in Daniel and Revelation, they equate a day with a year, okay? So now, when it talks about a time, this particular time represents a year, okay? It represents a year, because the Bible says a time, times, and a dividing of times. So when we look in Daniel 7, 25, when it talks about a time, it's talking about one year. And when it talks about times, it's talking about two years. And when it talks about the dividing of time, we're talking about a half a year. So if you have one time and a day or one time represents a year, then a Hebraic year or Elohim's year was 360 days. And when you say it's times, which is two years, you would have 360 by two, which would be 720 days, which would be 720 years. And then you have the dividing of times, which would be a half a year, which would be 180 days, which would be 180 years. So when you take 360 for one time, and then you also have times, which is two years, which would be 720, and then you have a half a time, which would be a half a year, which would be 180. So when you take 360, 720, and 180, and you 
add that together, you get 1,260 years. Okay, now let's go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. Revelation 13, verse 5 says, And that was given unto him, talking about this fourth beast, which is wrong, and that was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. Okay, so Revelation says 40 and two months. So when you take 42 months, what do you have? Well, a month is 30 days, and if you have 42, then you multiply 42 by 30 or 30 by 42. Either way, you get 1,260, which would be 1,260 days or 1,260 years. So what we notice is that even though Daniel and John used different ways of calculating the 1,260 yet they arrived at the same time period. They had the same time period. One did it by months, and the other did it by years or days. But they both turn out to be 1,260 years. Okay. In another place, John refers to this time period, and we want to turn to that time period of which John, John describes, and that's found in uh, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, and we want to look at verse 9, Revelation in verse 9. And here the Bible says, in Revelation 11, 9, it said, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and not suffer their dead bodies to be put into graves. Now here, here, when 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 John is writing, it was revealed to him of uh, three days and a half. You notice there in verse nine, it says, "And their dead bodies, three days and a half, that they were to be upon the earth." He said, three days and a half." Now, according to Bible prophecy, a day equal a year, and a year would have 360 days. And then it says they three it says they would be there for three days, okay? So if you got three days, then when you multiply 360 by three days, how many days do you get? You get 1080. Okay, so three days would be 1,080. And then he said a half a day, and we discovered that a half a day would be 180 years. So when you take 180 years and you add 180 to that, you would have uh, you would have a zero and zero would be zero, and eight and eight would be uh, 16, and you carry a one, and you got a one, and one is two in the next figure, so you would have 1,260 days, which would be 1,260 years. So when you take three years and you multiply it by three, you got 100 or 1,080 days, and then when you take a half a day, which would be 180 years, then you take 180 and add it to 1,080, 
you come up with 1,260 days, which will be 1,260 years. Okay, now both Daniel and John were speaking of a time period of 1,260 years, which aligned themselves with the reign of the papacy. And the reign of the papacy was from the period of 538 A.D., to 798, and if you take 538 from 1798, you come up with a time span of 1,260 years, and those were the years that something happened. What happened in those 1,260 years from 538 to 1798? Let's turn back to Daniel. We're going to turn back to Daniel 725. So here in Daniel 7.25, what we read is this. It says here in Daniel 7.25, it says in the midst of, uh, of this, it says, and he shall think to change times and laws. So during the time of the reign of the papacy for 1,260 years, he was going to change some of Elohim's times and laws. Now, next week, we'll go more into Daniel 7.25 as to some of the changes which took place in Yah's appointed times and laws because we see that Elohim had a system, and we're going to discover that in Satan's system, he's going to imitate Elohim's system, but he imitates the system, but he does not carry it out on the same days that Elohim carries his out. And that's what we'll study next week. But we have trying to show you first that Elohim had a system, and Satan is going to try to imitate that system to try to be like the Most High. So we are closed at this adjusted position. So, uh, to be clear, when it mentions in Genesis uh, one fourteenth seasons. It's not mm -hmm. referring to spring, summer, fall, or winter. No, that's another Hebrew word for that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it is in regards to the feast days because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people that will read it say, "Oh, this is regarding so we know the seasons of mm -hmm. spring, summer, fall, and winter." But it has that's nothing they, to do with that. Nothing. Not no. Not that. Mm. So. Why would they change and say seasons as opposed to just saying uh, feasts? Well, it, it could be a normal reason for that because feast, uh, 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 a feast was a season. It mm -hmm. was a season. And by King James and other Bibles translating seasons, um, they correctly translated it, but they didn't really give the the essence of it. But when you look in the Hebrew, it makes a distinction between the word for seasons as being a feast day okay. and for season as being dealing with the weather or the climate or a certain time of the year. They make a distinction with the Hebrew words. Mm -hmm. So they were not wrong in translating the season, but where the interpretation of what it is, is that's where the problem is. Okay, so it's but, mm -hmm. but if one knows what a moed is, you know that has nothing to do with the season other than the fact that the moed can come mm -hmm. during a, a particular season of what we call summer, uh, spring, summer, winter, and fall, and stuff like that. It can come during those times, but
but it that word did not point to to that type of season. It pointed to his feast, whereas the other word it points more or less to the season or the time of the year. Okay, and so uh, for clarification, also Yah did not get rid of the annual feast after his son died. No, he didn't. He 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 couldn't have because if if he did it. It'll be a number of problems in the Bible because when you look at uh, after Yeshua died on the cross, mm-hmm. what was the what was the first feast day that came after that? That was Pentecost, Shaviot. So mm-hmm. if they were done away at the cross, he would have told his disciples before he left, "Y'all don't have to worry about Pentecost because mm-hmm. that, that's done away with." And then later on in the books of Acts, he's still talking about Pentecost even after he died, and they had the first Pentecost after his death. Never thought about that because they sure did. Um, celebrate that mm-hmm. uh, after his death. So right. what need would it have been uh, for him to, for them to celebrate that if it was done away with after he passed? Yeah. And, uh, and another thing that we have to look at that, if they say the feast days are done away with uh, after the cross, then how, how did you have a day of atonement in, 18, in 1844 that they said that was the beginning of the judgment? Mm-hmm. If it was done away at the cross, then you would have to do away with the Day of Atonement, of which many scholars have said that the Day of Atonement, that when the 2300-day prophecy ended, that uh, it ended with the day of, day of Atonement. And we know the Day of Atonement was one of the feasts that he had given to ancient Israel on the first day of the seventh month. They had the blowing of the trumpets, and on the tenth day, you had the, uh, feast, the, the Feast of Atonement. So if you're saying that Yeshua did away with it after the cross, how is it that we closed the 2300-day prophecy with the Day of Atonement? And, it, and, and the scholars wrote prolifically about that. They, they wrote a whole lot of, about that, is that when we have the Day of Atonement, it coincides with the Day of Atonement in, in, in the Bible. And many of the Jews, they still you know, commemorate that day today. So if we, in our history, when we go back to the Great Awakening and all this and William Miller, and we see that the, that he was talking about in history that he thought the earth was a sanctuary. But then when they discovered further, they found out that when you call the cleansing of the sanctuary, it was only done once a year. And the Apostle Paul speaks about this in the book of Hebrews, that when it was done once a year, then after after that, they had to wait the next year to clean it again because the blood that was sprinkled in the sanctuary was the blood of sinful blood that they had mm-hmm. to clean out. That's why they called it cleansing of the sanctuary. But if you said that on that day when they cleansed the sanctuary, it was done away with, then how? Do you have a day of, a taint, uh, of, of atonement in 1844 when it was done away at the cross? So it's a lot of inconsistencies if you do away the feast days after the cross because they are still, from history, as well as uh, keeping the, the Shabbat, because if you say it was done away with at the cross, then you would also have to say that the this, this Sabbath, which is a part of the system, which starts the system, you would say that the Sabbath was done away at the cross too. Wow. Because I, I think, uh, you know, that's one thing it seems like that is good about this study is because you are dissecting what Yah has established and what Satan has established. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, 
it's funny how they don't want to keep his annual feast, but they look forward to keeping the Easter's, the Christmases, the Halloween's, you know, all these other pagan holidays. Yeah, we'll know. be getting into that. We should get into that next week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's interesting things that Yah has ordained for us to do. A lot of us don't want to do, but when it comes to things of the world, mm-hmm. oh, we're fully gung ho. We go all out for it. You mm-hmm. know, you know, so now uh you were saying that time is meaning to one year. Mm-hmm times two years and Mm -hmm. divided times was a half a year. Mm -hmm. So you were saying now in the Bible, is it a calendar year supposed to be 360 days? Mm -hmm. So uh, as opposed to 365, which you had, we supposed to, it's supposed to be 360. Yeah. Well, see, uh, there, uh, most people are going by what they call, uh, uh, when you have 365, they they they're going by uh, a solar. Uh-huh. They 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 claim that uh, they claim that the sun goes three hundred and sixty five days in a solar year, okay. but in a lunar in a lunar year, it's three hundred and like three hundred and sixty because see you have the moon governs the month, and okay. you got twelve uh, months, and so when you got twelve months, and you multiply that by uh, uh, the uh, uh, by thirty, you come out have three hundred and sixty. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and uh, what happens is is that when you have uh, three hundred and uh, when you have twelve months, and you calculate that, it comes out to three hundred and sixty. Okay. Okay. So now. If if you got three hundred and sixty days, then when you say a day equals a year, then uh, you come out twelve hundred and sixty days. I mean, I mean, you come out with three hundred and sixty days, and those three hundred and sixty days that you're coming out with makes a complete year. Uh-huh. Okay, so if you got, uh, uh, let me see. Uh, let me see if you if you got twelve times thirty, which is three hundred sixty. That makes a year three hundred sixty days. Okay. Okay. And then when it talks about two times, when it said times in Daniel, then you you multiply three sixty by two, which would be seven hundred twenty, and then it says a half a time, which would be a half a year, which was 180 days. And when you add all three of those figures together, you come up with 1,260 days, which is a day for a year, would be 1,260 years. Uh-huh. And even though he calculated it by days or times or years, then John calculated by months. Okay. He said 42 months, and 42 times a 30 would give you 1,262, you know, the same figure. But uh-huh. they just calculated from... One did it by years, another did it by months. That's all. Okay. So <laughs> technically, we are totally off from a lot of things. We're going on a 365-day calendar compared to 360 days because it's yeah, almost you're adding almost another week minus yeah, two days. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. See, uh, a lot of people looking at the 360 as uh, just a year that they had, but he was mm-hmm. actually going by a literal year that Elohim had established. Mm-hmm. Because if you take 365 and you uh, multiply it by 42, uh, you certainly wouldn't come out with no 1260. Yeah. Yeah. So not only, not only uh, does that point out the fact that Elohim's year is different from man's year, but it also points out the fact that Elohim starts his year in the spring, whereas man starts his year in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a whole lot of differences that, uh, and changes that we'll be dealing with next week to show you what Satan did. He used the same system, but he incorporated a different time periods. Because mm. yeah, it, it, it only makes sense uh, that, um, to me, a new year would start in the spring. Everything yeah, is blooming and reviving, whereas instead of a new year starting in the winter when everything is dead mm-hmm. and on has dead, but maybe yeah. that just shows that he said he is the father of death. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you remember this conversation we would have some time ago that mm-hmm. we were talking about April Fool's Day, and you were telling me that April Fool's Day bordered on the fact that the reason why they called it April Fool's Day because uh, that was really the day when Elohim started his calendar. He didn't mm. start it in January, but he started in the spring. And so that was the April Fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That That's something that, uh, you know, the correlations with a lot of these things now, you know. And I think the more we study and read, our minds will be open. I think that's the problem. A lot of us... Uh, I think we read the same things in scripture. A lot of times the ministers mm-hmm. preach the same things. They are scared to go in too deep into other things in the Bible. And they just give the people the same old, same old. And that's what you get accustomed to reading the same uplifting verses rather than reading the whole thing and taking mm-hmm. the whole Bible as a whole. We just mm-hmm. read certain things in on feel that's going to get us through uh, in this life. When I think yeah. we have to read mm-hmm. the whole thing and dwell yeah. with the and do the whole thing that Yah has put for us to do. Yeah, that's correct. This is why I was saying uh, in the initial stages of this study, and even today I was trying to point out is that we're not just dealing uh, with the seal of Elohim, but we're also dealing with the seal and the system. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not only dealing with the mark of the beast, but we're dealing with the mark of the beast system. Mm-hmm. See, he has a system too. And if we don't do, like you said, if we don't deal with the whole thing, we're dealing with a portion of it. Yeah. But when we deal with the whole thing, we have to consider the whole system. And Elohim have many systems in the Bible, but sometimes we just pick and choose what system we, what what part we want, and we leave out the system. Yeah. But when we start reading the Bible and looking at things from a system, we'll see how it all fits together. Great. That is great. So you said next week you will be getting into... Uh, pieces of Satan's system. Yeah, we'll be dealing with his system. See, see, he imitates Elohim. Mm-hmm. And we, now that we know Elohim has uh, a weekly Sabbath, an annual Sabbath, we'll next week we'll see how he imitates that system. All right. So that's one thing you want to tune in to us live next week. Up next is Let's Talk About That. 
So as we've been studying uh, with the Mark of the Beast, after Pastor has been giving us some really good studies, we do have to read the scriptures and the Bibles on our own. Now, there are many different versions of the Bible that's out there. So today I want to talk about, let's talk about the Bible versions. So if you have your Bibles, if you can get them, we want to look at three uh, verses in the Bible. The first one we want to look at, go to is Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, verse two. Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter, verse two. And it reads, ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish out from it, that ye may guard the commandments of Yahuwah Elohim, which I command you. And if you also can turn with me, we're going to go way to the end of the Bible to Revelation. As you know, we've been dealing with Revelation a lot. It's a lot of good stuff in there. So if you can turn with me to Revelation, the 22nd chapter, verse 18 and 19. Again, that's Revelation, the 22nd chapter, verse 18 and 19. And it reads, for I testify unto every man that hears the words of this, of the prophecy of this sefer. If any man shall add unto these things, Elohim shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of his, this prophecy, Elohim shall take away his part of out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this sefer. So, Pastor, the question is, does the Bible version that we read matter? Because we have so many different versions. We have King James, New King James, NIV, Message, Mirror, uh, Sefer, uh, Catholic Bible. Does the version matter? Yeah, it does. It does matter. Uh, it could it could, ma- it could matter uh, in a negative sense, and it can matter in a positive sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, it was a negative. Sometimes in, uh, in, 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 tra- in versions, now, that's just what it is. It's, it's a version, okay? And a version is generally uh, uh, an author's uh, perspective on, on the scriptures. It's like you may have uh, a Bible that's more of a version for children, and it may not have some of the words that are generally that they put in an adult Bible, and it may be different. But for the child, you know, that might uh, suffice. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, and then, I mean, that's in a positive sense, but in a negative sense, sometimes versions may take certain words uh, and they may not give the true. Uh, essence of what that word means, like mm-hmm. when we were talking about seasons, yes, uh, and they may translate it one way, and they're having people think it one way, mm-hmm. and it's actually another. And then another negative thing about it, uh, a version is that they may leave out a word or something that would give a clarification to something, but they may abbreviate it uh, so much that you don't get the full essence out of it. And so th- those can be some negative factors. But on, by the same token, uh, they can be positive too because uh, sometimes a person, when they study the scriptures, they may not be proficient in understanding 
some of the terminology, the these and the thous that you find in the King James translation, uh-huh. that when they read a version of it, they can understand that the these and the thous are talking about you and they, which uh-huh. is common English. Yeah. And they can better understand that. And then there's other areas of the Bible that may be using certain words, but when they read it in their own English, they can understand it. But sometimes it may not always be correct. It's like the Bible speaks in the book of Revelation about the seven candlesticks. Well, at that time in history, I don't think they had candlesticks. I don't know if it was Ben Franklin who dis- who made uh, the, the candlestick started with him. But uh-huh. that was long after the Bible was written. Uh-huh. But the Bible actually says a lampstand. But when you read uh, candlesticks, it does give you an idea of what they were dealing back in the Bible. So it's, it's helping you. Uh, to understand an ancient book at a modern time by using candlesticks. So that that's, that's good. It's helping you to understand. But now for a scholar of the Bible and people who want to get deep into the Bible uh-huh. and a person who just don't want to soft over the oh, over the surface of the Bible, they may read a Sefer Bible or some of the Bibles that was written in the original language, such as Hebrew and Greek uh-huh. and the Syriac languages and some of the Persian languages. And and as they read it from that point, point, then they can get a deeper perspective on what was going on. And as for me, I read I have read a number of versions of the Bible, uh-huh. and each Bible has contributed something to me to get a better understanding of it. Uh-huh. And they says some of the times, even if you read uh, uh, certain things, even in secular uh, uh, readings that. If you read a, a child's version of how they explain it to a child, then you can read the same thing that a child reads in order to help you to get a, a, a better understanding that when you read it from a child's standpoint and then you start reading it from another standpoint, then you say, oh, I can, I can see it. Because a lot of things that are written very elementary for children, if it helps them to understand it, then it can help you as well. So versions are the same way. It all depends on what you're trying to do. Are you trying to get a scholarly approach to it, or are you just trying to get a basic understanding of it? Are you just reading it for uh, some spiritual uh, insights to help you in some emotional factors? Or are you studied it to try to broaden your understanding what was happening in the biblical times and what actually Elohim said and the, and the closest that you can get to it Maybe to read Hebrew or Greek, but since you can't understand Hebrew and Greek, uh-huh. you go to a Bible that may have a version that every time they mention like the word God, they show you the Hebrew name for it or the Greek name for it so you can get a better understanding. So versions are good, and I encourage people to read as many versions as you can to try to enhance your understanding of the Holy Writ. So you say you should read if you can, more than one version, not just mm-hmm. stick yeah. to one. Yeah, because, see, if you don't read the original language, then uh, different versions give you different angles on the same text. Mm-hmm. And as you get to the various angles, you can say, well, you know, I put these angles together. I got a better understanding of it. Okay. So uh, how do we know if a version we read is good or not? Is it that we need to read several versions to know? You know, uh, especially if if it's a new person that is uh, maybe just getting into reading the scriptures and reading the Bible, is it maybe one particular version they should maybe try to adhere to? 
or just basically pick it up and start reading whatever version they can get their hands on? Well, you can read whatever they get their hands on, but at the same time, if you know specifically what you're looking for when you read in a version, uh-huh. then there may be certain versions that may cater to what, what you're looking for. It's like I got a Bible. They call it the uh, Living Bible. Uh-huh. And it, it basically is not going into anything heavy or difficult. It's just explaining uh, the Bible in simple, simple everyday common sense language. Uh-huh. That's all it is. So one to a certain extent, if you can determine why are you studying the Bible? Are you studying to get familiar with it or are you studying it because there are some passages that you want to get a better understanding of? And so they may have certain versions that can be able to accommodate that. One of the ways that you can go about getting the version, if you go to a uh, online or on a biblical uh a, a store where they sell Bibles, you can talk to the people who are selling it, let them know what you're trying to do, and they can suggest certain versions of the Bible that may be able to fit your lifestyle. Mm. Okay. So is there such thing as a bad version of the Bible? Then? Well, let me put it this way. Even from a bad version, you can learn things, even if you are learning what not to do, mm-hmm. which could be, be good. But you can see a bad version of the uh, of the Bible is is that if they are just using their opinion with no historical research as to why what they are saying is true, mm-hmm. that can be a bad version because it's giving you only the perspective of what an author is saying without any historical background to prove the source that is true. Mm. So that 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 can be bad, bad in that sense. But like I said. If you come across the Bible, it can be positive, too, because it can tell you, uh, well, there are certain things I can't depend upon in certain versions because it's not really accurately portraying that which it is talking about. So we have a question that has come in and it Mm -hmm. reads, I have heard that the Jewish calendar at one time had 29 days every month. Is that true? Uh, I'm not sure what source you got it from, but as I read about calendars, I haven't read that all of them have 29, 29 days to the, all 12 months have 29 days to it. Mm-hmm. Because when you study uh, the cycles of the moon in different phases, sometimes the moon can come in on the 28th day and sometimes on the 29th day. I personally have not read where all of the days were 29 days, okay? And if you have a source in which you have it, I, I like to share that source with you, because when you take the uh, when you take the sun in a solar year and also the moon in a lunar year, then I think they differ somewhat by uh, at least four or five days. Mm-hmm. And when you get into the Book of Jubilees, uh, I think they kind of go through the calendar days as well. Mm-hmm. But the most that we can get out of uh, even a solar year uh, when Elohim that was a year is 300 and I think 64 days mm-hmm. in opposed to 365. And then when you talk about 29 days every month, uh, I have not been able to uh, validate that. But like I said, if you have gotten some scholarship on that, then you can share it with us and, we, you know, give us some insight 
but I know they fluctuate between 29 and uh, 28. This is why even in, in even in man's calendar, when you come to to the days, uh, you you have Julius Caesar and his month. I think was uh, I think Julius Caesar, his month was the month of July, mm-hmm. and I think. July has, if I'm not mistaken, it has 31 days. And then you had, uh, uh, you have August, which I believe August come from Augustus. Mm-hmm. That come from Augustus. Okay. And I think Augustus didn't want Ju- Julius Caesar to outdo him. So <laughs> he also had his month to be uh-huh. 31 days. And then when you get with the secular calendar, we say, if you got a leap year, then you add a day to February to give it 29 days. But other than that, it's 28 days. Yeah. So even in the secular calendar, you know, they got various days, uh, 30 days and 31 days. And they got some kind of a little uh, poem or something. You can remember how many with 30, day, 30 days and how many with 31 days. I don't remember that poem, that, but they have. Mm-hmm. So when you deal with Elohim's calendar, it does fluctuate sometimes with the cycles of the moon that you may have 28 days and sometimes 29 days. Uh, I know uh, they said, I guess, the Enoch calendar has, what, uh, 364 days. Yeah, I believe the Enoch's calendar have that. It, uh, just the study of the calendar is, is, is quite a venture in itself. I'm still studying the calendar. I haven't mastered it, but uh, it has a lot of things that we can stand to learn if we, you know, study the calendar. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot there um, when when you read, because just like you said, I think in the book of Jubilees, uh, it speaks of, like you said, I think 360 days. But then when you read in the book of Enoch, you know, uh, I guess when people calculate it, it comes out to 364. So it's like, okay, (laughs) which one do or should we go with or go by? Mm hmm. You know, but if we go according to the moon, like you said, the moon uh, dictates a month and the moon uh, generally what has 30 days. Mm-hmm. Generally 30 and sometimes like 29 and stuff like that. See, because sometimes when you deal with the moon's uh, phases, they go in phases. Uh, then a phase may not, may not come in till like you may see the dark side. And, and then when you get that slither moon that comes in for a new month. It may not come exactly uh, when a month is coming in. You may have to wait a day or two to see the sliver of moon, mm-hmm. and that might be two days. And then I think the calendar began to count from that point on. That's why they got certain websites that you can go, like Moon Connection and stuff like that. They can kind of walk you through when a new month comes to determine uh, when when a new month began, because it's when the new months began on the first and the seventh month that determines the feast days. So you may want to get some of those channels that you go to to help you to determine it. Like I said, I'm, I'm still studying it. I haven't perfected it yet, but I think, you know, who I think the person who, who is making an inquiry into this, it shows that you are thinking and it shows that you are uh, uh, trying to get a, a broader understanding of it. Okay. And, which I'm on the same page, which I'm still studying the calendar myself. Oh, I guess uh, I may have misread the whole question. Um, it yeah. says, I heard that the Jewish calendar at one time had 
29 days every other month. Oh, every other month? Yeah. Oh, is no, that, that true? That, uh, I can't say it's true or false because I haven't studied from that angle, but that, mm-hmm. that, sounds, that sounds more feasible. Okay, yeah. That, that could be. Yeah, well, that we, is I, I'll have to month. check it out, but that does sound more feasible than every month being 20, 20, 29 days. So then that would say that would be at what, uh, 354? Because it'd be six days short? Uh, it possibly could be if one calculates. Uh, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I believe I heard that about the Jewish calendar at one time. Uh-huh. Uh, like uh, it was 28, 20, I'm sorry, 29 days every other month. Mm-hmm. 30 days, which would give you 354. Oh, okay. You know. Yeah. I guess uh, you, you were saying 29 days and also 30 days? Yeah, we go with 30 days. Every, if every month with 30 days, we have, what, 360. But I think if we did, like, 29 days, 6 months, and 30 days, 6 months, I think we come up with a 354. Because we lose okay, one day. Let me see. You got a. Uh, let me see if you got. Um, let us say twenty nine days, and. Uh, okay. All right. Let me see. You got uh, one seventy four plus one. Yeah, yeah. You got one hundred seventy four days. Uh, if you calculate every 29 days, every other month, and then if you have uh, every other month uh, uh, 30 days, that would be 180. And so when you take 174 and 180, it'd be 354. Yeah, that'd be correct. Okay. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, the Jewish calendar, that, that, that sounds about correct. But, you know, it, it's interesting, too, with 360 days, because when you look at, a circle, 360 degrees, is a complete circle. Yeah, that you only get a circle out of 360, yeah. Uh-huh. So it just, to me, it says, you know, for a year to be 360 days is that it's a complete year. But when you deal with 364, 354, 365, how can that be complete? Because everything doesn't turn around and surfaces back where it began. But when you mm-hmm. deal with 360 and you start at 360 and you end back where you start, it's almost mm-hmm. like everything starts back over again. And when mm-hmm. we looked at the seasons of the earth and when the spring begins, we do 360 from there. The spring comes back around again. And also. Yeah, well, the thing, thing you got to keep in mind is if you go to, uh, let me see, let, let us turn the Bible to uh, Genesis uh let me see. I think that's Genesis 7, uh, 7th chapter. I think, it, let me see. Uh, when you deal with uh, Genesis chapter 7, and and you look at verses, uh, let me see. Uh, let me see. Um yeah. Let me see. Well, let's let's look at verse number eleven. Uh-huh. It says, 
in the 600 year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the deep broken up and the fountains of heaven were open. So uh, he's talking about the second month in the 600th year of uh, Noah's life. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me see if I can find that other scripture that goes along with that. And let me see. Uh, uh, let me see. Because uh, when you when you when you calculate the time in which uh, the waters was on the earth and when it abated, I think they give a somewhat of a time time limit here. Uh, okay, yeah. Let it look at the eighth chapter. Now we already read uh, uh, seven eleven. Now let us lose the eighth chapter, and 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 in the eighth chapter. Uh, it reads, uh, let me see. Yeah. Oh, in verse four, it says, and the ark rested on the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon Mount Arak, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month and the 10th month and the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. Okay, now, if you notice, in verse 4 of the 8th chapter of Genesis, it says the, uh, the ark rested on the 7th on the seventh, uh, month. Okay, we got the 7th month, and the 17th day of that month. Okay, uh-huh. and that's the 7th month. So if we go back to... Uh, the seventh chapter in verse 11, it says in the 600 year of, of Noah's life, it says on the second month and the 17th. Now notice both the seventh month and the, uh, on the in other words, the seventh month had the 17th. Mm-hmm. And here we find that on the second month in the 11th verse of the seventh chapter, it also was on the 17th. Mm. So if you, so if you take the 17th of the second month to the to the uh, 17th of the seventh month, how many months is that? Isn't that six months? Because you got you got two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. That'll be six months, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so six months would be. Um, Basically, back in those days, because I don't think they had a fluctuation like we do. Yeah. Of having daylight saving times. I think the days were 12 hours a day and 12 hours a night until time went on. And then we started getting maybe more hours in the summer than we do in the winter and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you take the 17th of the second month to the 17th of the seventh month, you got uh, at least... Uh, Five times thirty would be one hundred and fifty days. I wouldn't that? Yeah, about one hundred fifty yeah. days. Because yeah. five times 30. thirty. No, six. Let me see. Six zeros, a zero, six. About one hundred and eighty days. Man, five times thirty. That's one fifty. Yeah, yeah that that'll be one fifty. But if we took six, it'd be one hundred and eighty. Yeah, one hundred and eighty. Yeah. So if you can do some of the calculations and during the time of the flood, 
and when he gives certain time periods, uh-huh. you could you can just multiply from you you can just take it from there. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I think they was back in Noah's day and Adam's day. They they was primarily thirty days equal because sin had not corrupted the world so much so that it, we had this great gap, like twelve hours. Uh, I mean, so many hours of day and so many hours of night mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. And just just like they say, people who stay in, in the uh, Arctic, you know, they may have six months of light and six months of day. So they have to kind of calculate uh, even in the day when certain things would happen. Yeah. But we here who are in, not in that zone, we can go by the light of the sun, but some some seasons it's going to be uh greater light mm-hmm. than there is darkness so uh so when you basically look at the summertime you got more light than day and in the winter you got more darkness than light and that's why they have this daylight saving times but generally back then you had at least 30 days of night and day that that was being equal so when you say 30 days you're not looking at all these different time changes and all that stuff. Okay. 30 days. Well, with that, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out another? Yeah, okay, then. I appreciate the questions coming in. We just continue to have them to come in, and we are answering them the best way we can. Eternal Father, we thank you for another session that we can be able to peruse your word. And as we looked at the system, O oh, Heavenly Father of Elohim, that established with his weekly Sabbath and also his system of the feast days, Lord, throughout the year, and as we anticipate next week, if it be your will, that we can study how the science of Satan, O oh, Heavenly Father, has gone into your feast days and has calculated the way that he wants it to, to be able to get the world to follow him. And so as we understand these things, help us to put it into practice that we are determined that we're going to follow you and you only. If Elohim be Elohim and Yeshua be Elo, be the son of Elohim, we're going to follow the path that they have led that we can be able to walk in truth. Now, Father, as we get ready to celebrate the rest of the Shabbat, that you will be with us. Bless those who are sick and shut in, that you may be, raise them up off of their bed of affliction, and bless those who have experience the loss of loved ones, that you would comfort their hearts through the comfort of your Holy Spirit, that you may give them strength at this hour to bear the loss that they have occurred. And we ask also, O Heavenly Father, for those who are seeking truth, that they may find it through the avenues, O Heavenly Father, that you have set up, that they may be able to find what is truth and what is error. And as we continue to read the Bibles, O Heavenly Father, no matter what version it is, that we may be able to get something and to learn something from them. And now, Father, as we give you our life, we ask that you would take it. And we ask that as we continue to set as the Shabbat, O Heavenly Father, that we know that in time, O Heavenly Father, that we'll be able to study the Shabbat with thee. And as we studied with thee, O Heavenly Father, we'll be able to understand things that we did not understand in this world. And we ask, O Heavenly Father, the Shabbat, which is a holy and a sanctified day and a blessed day, that you will bless and sanctify our lives through the Shabbat that we may be refreshed to go into another week. So bless my host, bless me, bless each listener, and bless those who listen to the podcast that they may be refreshed from it to be able to be able to have a life that we be able to be in harmony with what you have given, that when Yeshua does come, we can meet him in peace. 
is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Again, let people know we are on live on Psychov.com, S-C-I-C-O-V.com, every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're not doing anything during that time, we would love to have you. That is our podcast for this week. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Know therefore that Yahuwah Elohoika, he is Elohim, the faithful El, which guards his covenant and the mercy with him that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.